If you're watching online, everybody has a machzer. A machzer is a high holiday prayer book. So uh, this is the one that we're using. This is the one that's used in Chabad of the Five Towns. Actually, there's probably about three or four different machzer. But this, predominantly, the most copies are this edition of the Kohos machzer. So, uh, and also, I not only have the machzer that they use at Chabad of the Five Towns, I have, I have the chazan as, as well. Huh? Oh, thank you. Thank you, Rabbi Yisrael. Okay. Um, so Mandy, Mandy Hertz, my good, dear friend, uh, has agreed to help me out here because, um, yeah, we're going to go through the, the davening, and I can't sink. So rather than torture you, I figure I'll have uh, someone who, who knows how to do this. Okay. Let me, let me make a bracha here. Okay. Fine. So I'll just... I'll let you know when to chime in, and you'll, uh, uh, yeah, okay, we'll wing it. All right. Um, so let's start with a story. It's always good to start with a story. There was once, um, Erev Rosh Hashanah, in the base Medrash, in the shul of Rabbi Yisrael Ruzhener, the holy Ruzhener Tzaddik, there was a, a group of, of chassidim standing around, and uh, the, the Ruzhener, the, the Ruzhener Tzaddik came over, and he said to them, I want to tell you a story, which was not unusual, chassidim tell stories. So he says, once there was a simple villager, a Jewish man, a villager, and uh, he lived... He made his, his living managing an inn, and that meant he lived remotely. You know, like imagine somebody who has a, a family business to run the Motel 6 on the side of the interstate, right? So he had no Jewish community, and he had no shul, consequently. So he never davened in a minion. And he was simple and unlettered, and in those days, uh, education wasn't as accessible as it is today. So if you were of that ilk, often you were illiterate as well. So he never dominated a minion and he couldn't read Hebrew. And this is important for the setup in the story. Rosh Hashanah, he would go to the big city, relatively speaking, you know, the next town over that actually had a shul. And he would spend Yom Tov there so he could daven in a minion. Anyways, uh, he comes in on Rosh Hashanah morning and he's davening, but he doesn't really know how to daven. He just looks what everyone else is doing, and he mimics. And he can't really read. They, they, they don't call it page numbers. You know, it's not a Chabad house there. He's, whatever, he just looks what people are doing. He tries to mimic them. Um, and at one point, everybody is davening Shmineser. They're davening the Amidah, the standing prayer, the central prayer. And, um, and people are crying. Now, the people who are crying are thinking about all of the things that they're asking Hashem for, all the things that they have in mind when they're asking Hashem to, uh, to rule over His world and to show that He is the ruler of the world. And so they're, they're, they're very moved and they're, and they're weeping. Now, he doesn't understand any of this. So this villager is trying to figure out in his mind why everybody started suddenly crying. So he says, aha, I know why. I know why. Because we're in shul for such a long time already, and we're hungry. Uh -huh. ah, and that's why they're crying. Okay. 
So he figured it out. Well, one by one, they step back out of the Shemineser. Uh, they stop that part of the prayer, and they, they stop crying. So he's looking around, and he's trying to figure this out now. Why did everyone stop crying? I, know, I figured out why they started crying. because we're here in Shul so long. We didn't eat yet. We're so hungry. But why did they stop crying? We didn't eat yet. So he's trying to figure it out. And he says, oh, you know what it is? I know. I noticed that in Shul, in the back, uh, the little kitchen uh, where, where, the, where the guests eat, they had a, a big pot, like a, what do you call it, a big stock pot? So what's it called? Like a big pot like that? On, 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 the, on the stove. And it, there was a, I noticed, I mean, it took a peek when I came in, there, there was a meat bone, a big tough meat bone. And the longer that meat bone simmers, the more geschmack, the more tender and succulent and delicious the meat bone becomes. So he says, I just realized. They were hungry, yeah, it's true. And they were crying because they were so hungry. But then they remembered that the longer the meat bone simmers, then the better it's going to taste. So it's actually, it's okay that we're davening for so long because it's actually going to make lunch more tasty. And that's why they stopped crying. This is what he's figuring out in his mind. But then they get to Tekiah Shoifer, the sounding of the Shoifer, and they start to say the preparatory uh, chapters of Psalms, and everyone loses it. They just start weeping again. And he doesn't know what's happening. He doesn't know that they're about to hear the Shoifer. He's just seeing everybody crying, and he's trying to figure out what's going on. Why is everybody crying? So he figures out, he says, ah, I know what it is. I figured it out. Okay. They started crying because we're in shul for so long and, and we didn't eat yet. We're hungry. So they were crying out of hunger. But then they remembered the longer the bone simmers, the more tasty it's going to get. So they stopped crying. But you know what? As true as that is, even though the bone gets tastier and tastier the longer you wait, at some point you can't wait anymore and you got to eat. And that's why they started crying again. That was the story that the Ruzhner Tzaddik told to his chassidim on Erev Rosh Hashanah. And then he left. He, he returned to his, uh, his holy room and he left the chassidim standing there. And they were puzzled by the story. And one of the elder chassidim turned to the others and he said, what the Rebbe has just conveyed to us is a metaphor about the exile, the golos not just the geopolitical exile of our people, but the metaphysical exile of God's presence. The fact that we're in a dysfunctional state ever since the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem and our people were dispersed. And uh, the truth is, we, we, we toil trying to perfect a broken world. And we've been doing this for 2,000 years now. And, and the longer we do it, actually, the greater the subsequent revelations of God, which will occur during the, during the Messianic era, will be. So similar to the villager who sees everybody is crying because it's taking so long. We've got to eat already. We're crying because we're in exile. And we say well, the exile is taking too long. But then we stop and we say, oh, hold on a second. But the longer we're in exile the more that we work within the situation, the more we're actually working to refine it. So it's actually making it better and better. In other words, when Mashiach does come, that the, the, the ensuing revelation will be that much more sweet. Uh, 
But then, just like the villager realized, everybody started crying again because, you know what, in theory, the longer the meat bone boils, the more tasty it gets. But in practice, come on, at some point you just got to eat. And it's the same thing with us. In theory, the longer we stay in exile, the longer it takes for Mashiach to come, the greater it's going to be when Mashiach finally does get here. Yeah, that's in theory. But in practice, enough is enough already. We need Mashiach now. Okay. So, anyways, as I said, Rosh Hashanah, we're going to be in shul a long time. So, what can we do to try to make it uh, a little bit more fun? Here's what I've come up with. I came up with an idea. What we're going to do is give you some highlights of some stuff to look forward to. So if you're not able to follow, and by the way, the, the, the best kept secret in all of davening, not just Rosh Hashanah, but year-round is, read the English. Do not, do not think that you are uh, somehow taking the easy route to read the English. Trust me when I say, to actually know what you're saying and actually know what the Chazan is saying is, uh, that's what davening is. That's what davening is. So if you're a traditionalist and you're very, very you know, into the Hebrew, I, I get that, I understand that, but uh, that's why they have the Hebrew English. So you have, you have one, one, one page for tradition and one page for actually knowing what's going on. And especially the high holiday davening, a Chazan can tell us even, a lot of those words are unusual words, right? So, yeah, which is why in Shulchan Aruch it says that a chazan should prepare. And this, by the way, I'm charging you for training because we're going. This is your preparation, right? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of unusual uh, words that we don't normally say. So it's a, it's an interesting Hebrew. At any rate, okay. <clears throat> so some highlights. Basically, okay, open up your machzah to page 66. I'm not going to do the evening because the evening service is 15 minutes. If you get bored during 15 minutes, <laughs> bring a fidget spinner. <laughs> yeah, bring something to, to shul to distract yourself. But, uh, huh? I like Maya. You like Maya? Yeah, because it's... Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's for the money. Ladav Mizma is for the money. Hello. How do you pay for two? That's right. <laughs> Yeah, okay, but I'm not going to do any of the evening stuff. We're going to go straight to the morning. Okay, so page 66 is the morning prayer. So basically, this is the same as any normal morning. You're starting, starting in the Chabad uh, Siddur, at least. You're starting with Hereni Mekabal. I hereby accept upon myself the mitzvah of loving my fellow Jew as myself. I'm not going to go into this. I'm just going to move quickly, briskly along. Nobody's usually in shul at this point anyway, right? <laughs> Rabbi Wallach, I'm not allowed to say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you go to page 79, uh, and there's Hoidu. Again, that's the way you start every shachras, uh, every morning prayer of every weekday. Uh, you know that we, we daven every day, right? <laughs> there was a guy once, he was a once-a-year Jew. Didn't even come to Rosh Hashanah, only came Yom Kippur. And... Um, and he only came in Kippur at night, you know, called Nudr service. So one time the rabbi is like, you know, I'm determined. I'm going to confront this guy. I'm going to try to get him to come more often to shul. So as the guy's leaving shul, he comes over. He's like, Bernie, you know, uh, I really love seeing you once a year. But, you know, we're, we're here every single day. And uh, at least, you know, Shabbos once a week. He's like, Rabbi, you're a nice guy. I'm not going to lie to you. I can't come to shul. It's too boring. 
He says, why is it too boring? He says, because every time you come, it's the same thing over and over. Kol nidre, kol nidre, kol nidre. Because <laughs> in his experience, every time it was kol nidre. You got it? You got it. Okay, it just wasn't that funny. Okay, anyways, let's keep moving. This is all the same. You can keep flipping. It's all the same. Now you get to a point where it's different than a regular weekday, but it's the same as a regular Shabbos. Um, it's the same as a Shabbos, same as a regular Shabbos. All right. Now go to page 99. Okay. Page, ah, page 99. Now this is where you start to get serious. Page 99 is where we take a turn. We turn off the path and we're getting serious. This is not like a regular Shabbos or Yom Tov Davening. And what you'll see here, Shama, can you pull up page nine? You have page nine? You pulled it up? Okay. All right. So, Chaz and Mendy, could you just give us a little, a little, maybe from, from like lead into that, Hamel, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Just, Okay, he, but he told me, by the way, coming in, he's like, you only dab in Musaf, yeah, because that's the real pros. They save, <laughs> they save the real pros for Musaf. It's like the relief pictures. This is, yeah, okay, anyway. So my relief pictures. What? 108 years for World Series is worth the wait. One every 10 years would have been fun. You're talking about the Cubs? Yeah. He knows my team. Okay, very good. Okay, Get, set the scene for us. Page 99, little Hamelech, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Go, go ahead. Go, you take, take the podium. Okay. So, uh, I don't know, Lubavitch has a, some different menhagen than a lot of around the world. So I grew up, I've actually never dove in 770 Rosh Hashanah Kippur in my life. I'm a rarity from Crown Heights. But uh, my, my father davens in a shul in Bar Park for many years, a Lubavitch shul. So I've never seen this in Lubavitch shuls, but in every other shul, I guess, around the world, the chazan starts in the back of the shul. And it's like a whole to-do where he starts going, ah, 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 whatever the tune is, that sounds more like Kal Nidre, I think. But it's relatively the same motif, where it's, uh, and they just, he does a whole tune as he's walking up, in his seat, actually, I think. He goes, Ha-melech. There's a pause, he gets to the um, and then he goes, and if you have a singing shul who knows it, they go, I just want to stop here. One second. Stamp here with me. Sure. Now, on a normal Shabbos, so there's beautiful, wasn't that beautiful? Yeah. yeah. I'm a round of applause for my cousin here. Okay. All right. Now, you said, you said Hamelech. Hamelech. Now, you said something different. Did anyone catch that? Normally, we say, Hamelech Hayoyshev. Ha is the hey hayadia. You want to use gram grammatical terms. It's the definite, definite article. Hamelech Hayoyshev al Kisei Rambanisa, which means the king who sits on an exalted throne. But on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, you say, Hamelech Yoyshev. That's the present participle. The king is sitting. He is currently sitting right now. It's more imminent, it's more urgent, it's more now, right? So everyone caught that? Hamelech Yoishev, not Ha Yoishev, Hamelech 
Yoishev. You want to just bust it out one more time, Hamelach Yoishev? Just, just those words right there. Hamelach Yoishev. I want to put in another thing, all right? Not all Machzorim do this type of uh, layout, the typesetting, but this one does, and you can appreciate. And by the way, these words are in every Shabbos and Yom Tov Davening, but uh, here, it's, the, the, the typeface is bolded, so you can actually see it, and it's laid out. You see the configuration of this paragraph where it's uh, three columns, one, two, three, four words per column. You see that right there? Okay. So we say that every Shabbos and Yom Tif, those, those three columns right there. But it's laid out to show to you, to make it easier to see, that the first letter of every third, one, two, three, every fourth word starting from Yeshodim is the name Yitzchak, the biblical patriarch Isaac. And the third letter of every third or fourth word, starting from Tisreimam, is Rivka, his wife, our matriarch, Rivka, Rebecca. Yitzchok and Rivka. So you see the names of Yitzchok and Rivka encoded. Does everyone see that? Yitzchok and Rivka's names, the acronym for their names, um, encoded there in the, in the davening. Okay, and why are they mentioned here? There's a lot of reasons, but I'll tell you one reason. Because Yitzchok and Rivka, many don't run away from me. Yitzchok and Rivka are uh, the only couple mentioned explicitly in Tanakh as davening together. The Yetar Yitzchok, La Hashem, Yitzchok entreated, he davened to Hashem, Neuchach Ishtai. What does that mean? It means that Yitzchok would daven in his corner of the room, in order that Rivka should be pregnant and have a baby, and Rivka would daven in her corner of the room, and they would both daven at the same time. So Yitzchok and Rivka, super power davening couple, mentioned here there's different uh, Kabbalistic reasons as well, but that should be enough to uh, think about during the 30 seconds it takes to say these words. Okay, fine. So, you know, let, let's move on. Let's move on to the next... Uh, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, yeah, just, just wait in the wings and I'll call you up again. Oh, hold on a second. I want to tell you a story. Okay, I, I, don't, I don't need uh, Chazanas for this, but it's very, very interesting. There's only one story that's actually written into the Machzer. There's a story here, and it's right above. Shami, did you pu pull it up again, page 99? I don't, know, have you, I don't know if you had it on the whole time, but pull it up again. It's up. it's up, page 99. Okay, so there's a story above Hamelech, right above where it says Hamelech. There's actually a story there. And I'll tell you the story. The story is that Reb Aaron Karliner, who is Reb Aaron Karliner? He's one of the Talmidia Magid. The Baal Shem Tov had 60 disciples. His successor was one of those 60, was the Magid. The Magad had 120 disciples. Of those 120 disciples, Reb Aaron Karliner, or Reb Aaron Hagodol, the first Karlin Stolen Rebbe, was one of those disciples. 
And his colleague, the Alter Rebbe, or the Balatanya, the first Chabad Rebbe, included a story about Reb Aaron in the Machser, at this place right here. It's very interesting that a Machser should have a story, especially a contemporary story, because the Alter Rebbe is the one who included it. The Alter Rebbe is including a story about a friend of his. It's very interesting, yeah? So the story is that Reb Aaron was once davening on Rosh Hashanah. Some versions of the story that he was davening in the Magad's minion, and the Magad actually asked him to be chazan. Um, and he came to this line, to Hamelech Yoishev, not Hamelech HaYoishev, as we explained before. Hamelech Yoishev, the king, is currently sitting right now on his throne, and he collapsed. He fainted. So after he came to, they asked him, like, what's up? Why did you, why did you faint? So he says, I'll tell you. In the Gemara and Gitten, there's a story, maybe people remember this, uh, this section of Agatha because it's one of the only permissible sections of Talmud you can study on Tisha because it's about destruction. It's a sad uh, telling of uh, the story of the destruction. Uh, so anyways, there's a, an episode there where Rabbi Yechen ben Zakkai, who was the leader of the Jewish people in Jerusalem at the time of the Roman siege of Jerusalem, he snuck out of the city. There's a whole story how he snuck out. And he gets to the encampment and he gets to Vespasian's tent. Vespasian was the general who was dispatched by Rome to besiege Jerusalem and to destroy the temple. And when he sees, when Ramon Yechem and Zakkai, the leader of the Jewish people, sees Vespasian, the general, the Roman general, he says to him, Shalmaloch Malka. Malka with an Aleph, Aramaic for king, Melech. He says, greetings to you, king. In fact, he said it to him twice. And Vespasian, who was the general, says to Rabbi Yechem ben Zakkai, you are uh, obligated for death on two counts. On one count, for, for high treason. Because I'm not the Caesar, I'm a general dispatched by the Caesar, and you called me king, and I'm not the king. So that's on one count. He says, but on the, the second count is, if I really am a king, then why didn't you see me till now? I've been here for a while. The siege had lasted for a long time. How come you're just showing up, all, you're just rolling in all of a sudden? If, if you think I'm the king, you just called me king, why are you showing up all of a sudden? Should have been here a long time ago. So that Aaron fainted because when he came to that word, Hamelech, he remembered that story and he was like, Oive, what are we doing here? We're just rolling in all of a sudden on Rosh Hashanah and saying, Oh, king, hey, hold on a second. I just became king. I've been king all year. Where have you been all year? So the Alter Rebbe writes in the Machser, and if this is how Reb Aaron, who was a great tzaddik, uh, this is how he reacted, how much more so should we uh, take this very seriously? Okay, let's, uh, I'll tell you one more thing. Pull up page 100, um, but just on the very next page, you know what, uh, Mandy, you want to help me out with, uh, I know that you're not a Shachras Chazen, but you, you can do the Shiramalis Memamakim. I think I can wing it. You can wing it, okay, fine, all right. Now this this is just the next page. This is like a minute later. Shiramalo is mi mama ki me kerasi chashem. 
Okay. Do you no. do word pasuk pasuk or you finish off? I don't know. What, what, how do you like Depends if you're trying to save time yeah. or you, people, you want to be more musical. But I want to tell you something interesting, according to grammar. This is from the Alter Rebbe, from the Balatanya as well. He said, we translate this from the depths. From the depths, Hashem. I'm calling out to you from the depths. Okay. The Alter Rebbe says, grammatically, from the depths should, should be, ma'amukim. Amukim, should, should, that's what should be depths. Mamik means to make something deep. Mimamakim means from those who make things deep. And he explains, it means the people who dig deep. That when you come to Rosh Hashanah and you want blessings, the blessings are all there. Hashem wants to bless us. Hashem is blessing us. But sometimes the ego gets in the way. The EGO, the edging got out. And you have to remove the obstruction. The Altarebbe didn't use that acronym, but he says you have to remove the obstruction. So how do you remove it? You gotta dig deep. You gotta Dig deep in there and get all, the, get all the schmutz off that's covering up. Okay, fine. Let's, let's keep going. So you go to, turn through 101, 102. These are the blessings before Shema. And then you have Shema on 105. This is regular stuff. Regular, regular stuff. All right, and 109 is the Shema Nasra, the, the Amida that you say, Balachash. That means personally, quietly. I'm not going to go through that. We're just going to go past that. And, uh, yeah, so where's the, the Chazan's repetition? 115. 115. Okay, so here's the thing. By the way, you see all my post-it pads. <laughs> yeah, you like my post-it pads? Do you have post-it pads in your Chazan? I, I write in my You write in it. Okay. I didn't want to write in this one, so I wrote on the post-it pads. There's a, there's a story one time, just reminded me of a story, that um, the Baal Shem Tov went to a Kretschme, to an inn, and he asked the kids, the children of the Baal Kretschme, of the innkeeper, like, I didn't see your father all day, where's your father? And they said, oh, Tati Davin's all day. So he went over, and he's like, why are you davening all day? He was a simple Jew. He's like, not a Kabbalist or anything, so why is, it, why is it taking him all day to daven? If he's thinking all the deep Kabbalistic meanings of every word, you, know, you understand that, but simple Jew, he's davening all day. So the Baal Shem Tov says, why, da- why does it take, take you all day to daven? So he said, because I know how to read, but I don't know what any of the words mean, so I'm not sure which parts of davening we're supposed to say. So I just read the whole thing cover to cover. So literally this guy, every day, Shachas, Mincha, Ma'erev, Erev Tavshilin, Birkas HaMazayin, Tadis Nedarim, like just cover to cover, reading the whole Siddur. So the Baal Shem was like, okay, you don't have to do that. Here's what we're going to do. And he made him little, I don't, think, I don't think they had post-it pads in Poland in the 1700s, but he gave him some type like a little bookmark. So he made bookmarks for him. And he showed him, here's where the morning prayers start, and here's where the morning prayers end, and this is grace after meals, and this is the afternoon prayer. He made him like little... Operation paper. Yeah, <laughs> so, so, Operation Paperclip? Insider Baseball. Okay. <laughs> well, that's uh, what he's been, right? Uh, what? Paperclips in his Oh, okay. Operation Paperclip is after, after the World Holocaust II. when they yeah. got German scientists to work for NASA. Yeah, for our okay. <laughs> and, the yeah, to beat the Russians. Yeah. To beat the communists. <laughs> okay, we made it good. Okay, so, anyways. So he gave, it wasn't paper clips, they didn't have paper clips, they didn't have post-it pads, but he made them like little um, bookmarks. Okay, so then the Baal Shem Tov left, 
And then the guy was like looking at his new sitter with the, it wasn't a new sitter, but it felt like new because it had all the bookmarks and he was loving it, he was looking at it. And all of a sudden, a wind came oh, and it blew all of his bookmarks and he was like devastated. So this guy goes running after the Baal Shem Tov, but the Baal Shem Tov had already crossed the river. And what did the Baal Shem Tov do when he would come to a river? He would take off his gartel, his prayer belt, and he would lay it down on the river, like a little canoe, I guess. And he would just stand on it, and he would ride across the river like that. Balshamtov, you know, he was very holy. He would do things like that. So the guy sees a Balshamtov just cross the river on his gartel. So he's screaming, wait, wait, wait. So he can't catch up with the Balshamtov. The Balshamtov just finished crossing the river on his gartel. So the guy's like, oh, what should I do? So the guy takes out his gartel, and he puts it on the river, and he, you know, yeah, he sails across the river on his, on his gartel. And he catches up to the Baal Shem, he's like, Rebbe, my, my papers fell out of my sitter. Could you fix it for me? The Baal Shem is like, how do you get across the river? He's like, well, Rebbe, I saw how you go on the gartel, and so I, I never knew it could be done like that. So I saw you do it, but then I was like, hey, that's a good idea. So I did it too. The Baal Shem says, yeah, you just did that? He's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, you know what? Maybe you should just keep davening the way you've been davening. <laughs> okay, at any rate. Um, so Chazan's repetition is different on day one and day two. Um, what I want to do is... Shorter on one. Yeah, longer. shorter on one and longer on two, yeah. Um, but you don't do shachars anyways, okay. But let's get I to... I still daven along with the minion. Oh, you do daven with the minion, okay. That's important, that's good to know. Okay. Um, what was the thing that they asked, uh, was it Yosler Rosenblatt, why he, uh, he got paid more than the competition? He says, says all the in-between words. <laughs> I heard the uh, uh. He says even the quiet words that uh, the chazan doesn't say out loud. Okay, at any rate, because he, he, he was a real Yoreshemayim. He was a God-fearing chazan. He actually prayed. He was really... You know, sometimes I hear chazanim don't like the expression chazan. They like the word baltfila. You, you, what do you like? Chazan or baltfila? <laughs> now that you say it, I'm uncomfortable with both. Huh? Now that you say Baltfila, it sounds a little more esteemed. I'm like, yeah, it is. It's more, more classy. Okay. Designated Davener. Okay. Let, let's go to um, page 152, okay? Because this is, yeah, this is after the Shemineser. I'm going to go after the Shachah Shemineser, and, and I'm going to go to a high point. Okay, so let's say you, go, you get through the, the Shachah Shemineser, and you get to, this is a big, a big high point, and I want an excuse uh, to sing in Yigun. And page 152, so uh, they open up the Oran, they open the Ark, which is very dramatic always whenever that happens. And uh, there's, a, there's a melody that was composed by the Alter Rebbe, by the Balatanya, the first Rebbe of Chabad. And uh, we usually sing it at this point before Avinu Malkin. Can you help us out? No, the real, the Alter Rebbe is Avinu Malkin. What are you doing, Barbara Streisand or something? Get out of here. Alter Rebbe. We do a second time. I la da 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 da
It has a lot more oomph when the whole crowd sings. Oh, yeah. When you get the whole crowd together. Yeah. Well, it depends on who's in the crowd. But, and that's uh, where I usually take a break. That's when, it's like when the duck who is uh, flying in the front of the formation goes to the back. You ever notice that with the ducks and they fly in that V formation? They do the ones who are in the front. They go to the back and they catch the, the wind, the tailwind. Yeah, and it carries them for us. So that's when our, you're like our, our duck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Um, by the way, I'll just share a quick vort with you. The, this Avina Makina, by the way, was uh, composed not by one, uh, what do you call a, a composer? Probably not a composer, a uh, author, probably. Use the word author. Uh, every, every prayer has an author. The Avina Makina prayer was compiled over many generations with different sages adding different lines at different times of need uh, whenever the Jewish people needed to beseech God for mercy and ask him to behave both uh, not only as a king, but as a, a father, a loving father. Uh, so just I'll point out something here. There's, there's something to be said about every single line here, but I'm just giving you a little nuggets. On page 153, you see the second page of Avina Malkeno? So on page 153, one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, six lines down. Avina Yisrael So what, what does that mean? Um, in the English show over here it says, Our Father, our King, exalt the glory of Israel, your people. Keren can mean glory. Um, but it's not really the common word for glory. Usually we'd say like hoid or hodar. Um, so I'll tell you a word from Reb Meisheleb Sosever. It's also one of the Talmidia Magid or Talmidia Balshamtiv. And he says like this, Keren means principle. When you have, uh, let's say, an investment and you have a certain amount of money that you put in the investment, so there's the, there's the profit or the, the interest that you're making. And then there's the keren, there's the, the principle. So he says like this. This is similar to the vart I told you from the Ruzhaner about the needing to eat already. We're in exile so long, it's, you know, enough is enough. He says like this. When Hashem put us into exile, he dispersed us all over the world to perfect the world. And so we're, we're on a mission, collectively, uh, to, to perfect the world. But here's the problem. <laughs> that while the Jewish people 
are off on our mission to perfect the world and, and every day that we're in exile and we're in this situation, we're making the ensuing revelations that will come about in the messianic era greater and greater and greater and greater. It's like, it's like a chunk of money that you have and you're, you're investing it. And every day there's more, you're accruing more and more and more profit. You're making more interest every day. Oh, it's great. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to take out any money. I want to leave it to let it accrue more and more profit. But eventually you come to a point, it's like, hold on a second. Hold on a second. This is getting risky. We got to take the principal out. We got we to call it quits. We got to just cash in and be done. So, Meshul Ipsosavir says like this, Horim Keren Yisrael Amecha means pull out the principal, which the principal, Yisrael Amecha, the Jewish people, your, your, your people, the Jews. You invested us to accrue this, this divine interest of making the world a better and better and better place every day in exile. But at some point, it's too risky. The Jewish people, God forbid, could be lost. So just call it quits, cash in, and say, you know what? We did good. It's enough. We don't have to keep on pushing our luck. Okay. Just a little vort to think about during Avinu Malkeinu. Let's continue. We do the song of the day, which whatever day it is, or Shana could fall on different days. Uh, we do again uh, chapter 27 of Psalms, which we do every single day for the past month. Um, do you have the, the reading of the Torah? Shammai, do you have a Torah reading, like 164? Okay, so I'll just mention the Torah reading very quickly. Obviously, every Shabbos and Yom Tov and in other days as well, we have a communal Torah reading. Um, just to cue you in on what's going on during the Torah readings. So the first day we read about how Sora, our matriarch, Sarah, was remembered. Hashem remembered her and uh, she conceived and she gave birth to her child, her only child, Yitzchak, patriarch Isaac. So we are reading that Torah portion to remind Hashem, to remind himself, to remember us. Just like you remembered Sarah, remember us. And then the Haftarah is of a similar theme. It's about how the barren Hannah, or Hannah, also was remembered in a similar way. And she conceived and she gave birth to the illustrious Shmuel, the prophet Samuel. So that's the first day. Uh, second day is the, uh, the, the Torah reading is the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. There's a strategic importance to that. We tell Hashem, if we have no other merits than the merit that was accrued by our forefather Isaac, um, let's use that right now to be written for a good new year. And then similarly, the Haftarah is of a similar theme. It's um, the prophet speaking about Hashem's affectionate uh, feelings about the Jewish people, and especially the way that Hashem thinks of the Jewish people as a beloved child. Havein yaker li Ephraim. Ephraim is a byword for the Jewish people in this context, that the Jewish people are like a, a delightful, beloved child, like a son, the way that uh, a father looks at a child. So we're, we're trying to evoke paternal feelings, loving feelings, warm feelings from 
our father, who happens to also be our king, but we're, we're playing on the, on the fact that he's also our father. You know, there was once a little boy who went to Cheder uh, in a little town where they only had one class and they only had one teacher, one rabbi. And his, his father was his teacher because that's it. There were no other teachers to go to. So to show that he, that he wasn't playing favorites, the father was very rough on the kid in class. So one day the kid's at home and he's crying and he's like, uh, why are you crying? The father asks the kid, why are you crying? He says, well, before I answer you, I want to know, who am I talking to, my teacher or my, my father? He says, we're, we're, we're at home right now. I'm your father. He says, oh, good, father, tell my teacher to stop being such a jerk. <laughs> so obviously the, the teacher and the father are one person. Avino and Malkeno, our father and our king, it's one Hashem. We're appealing to the fact that, hey, you know that king, that king happens to also be our father. I'll tell you another uh, vort also from uh, the Agar de Kala, which is... Uh, many people know better as the Bnei Yisoscha, the Dinaverov, but he wrote another work called the Agrikala. He explains over there, seemingly the whole concept of repentance shouldn't work because if Hashem gives us commandments, those are serious rules. He told you what to do. He told you what not to do. And then you want to flout his rules. I'm sorry, what, why do you want a second chance? Like, I, I, told you, I told you what to do. And it was very clear. It was written very clearly... Uh, on, on, on the page, and you just decide to do whatever you want to do. Why, why should you get a second chance? And yet we know Hashem does give us a second chance, and a third chance, and a fourth chance, and infinite chances, because just as Hashem is infinite, His mercies are, are infinite. Um, why does that work? And seemingly even the Agri Kala asks, it sort of calls into question the validity of the whole divine judicial system, because it makes it seem like a joke. If you could always do tshuva, you could always repent, then you know, the law doesn't have any teeth. So... How do you explain that? So it says like this. Interesting. There's a Gemara in Ksubis, uh, that says that Melech al that a king who wants to forgo the honor due to him. We're talking about a Jewish king. The halacha that binds this Jewish king is he's not allowed to do it because the office demands that he cannot forgo his honor. But interesting, there's another Gemara, a Gemara in Kiddushin, a different tractate that says of that a father who forgoes the honor due to him, and in fact, this is actually even codified as a halacha in Shulchan Aruch in the laws of Kibbutz Aim. It tells fathers and mothers, don't stand on ceremony and insist the Kibbutz Aim, the parental honor that's due to you by the fifth commandment. Don't do that. Of course, you could, but don't do it. Forgo that honor, and. Uh, when you do, as a parent, forgo that honor, it is absolutely effective. So the fact that Hashem is a king would imply that he can't give us a second chance. But the good news is, you, the Jewish people, are called Hashem's children. So he's not just Malkeno, he's Avinu Malkeno. So as our Tati, he could, he could forgive us. Can and he should forgive us. Okay, um, let's go to... Page 175. Um, I don't know, can you, uh, you're not the Baltakea, but no. can you give us a little bit of the, no, can you give us a little bit of the Mina Meza? Oh, we weren't expecting to be on camera tonight. Can we put you on the spot? Can you do a little Mina Meza? It only works in Rosh Hashanah? Huh? So don't do it, just tell us. You gotta be in the mode. Yeah, 
Uh, uh, tell, tell us how, just don't do it, just tell us how the Rebbe did it. <laughs> just, 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 you know, Well, you got to use the mic. You got to use. <laughs> the key is sounding the shofar in general. Is the mitzvah of the day of Rosh Hashanah. And um, has deep significance. And from a Kabbalistic perspective, it is what we call. Binyan Hamalchus, where there is explained in great length in Hasidic thought that the night of Rosh Hashanah, first night, is when we have to rebuild our connection to Hashem and being, build kingdom on this world. The only Rebbe I was ever at Rosh Hashanah was by our Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe. I had the schus to be there from 1982 through 1991. Every Rosh Hashanah. And it was what you call an Aveda. First of all, you had your spot for Tkiyas. There was something called the wash machine in 770. You stood there and you literally, you, after Yom Tov, you just peeled off your suit and you threw it in the garbage. That's basically how it worked. Um, if it ever walked up to the Bima, his face was beet red. Simple people, but there was obviously something happening. And he, the Rebbe secretaries would bring along brown bags of some of the notes that were given to the Rebbe over the days leading up to Rosh Hashanah that the Rebbe included with him on the bima. And then he would have a few of the shoifers from previous rabbeim, Samach Tzedek, so on. And he would pull his talus over his head. And he would open up this chapter 47, Pedek Mem Zayin of Psalm of Tehillim. And there was, you can hear a pin drop in a room that had a capacity of the base Hamikdash, which means whatever, as many people as there were there, Everyone fit in somehow, and you can literally hear a pin drop. And you heard every word as the Rebbe started and led verse by verse from Min HaMetzah. There were times that the Rebbe would pause and cry. The Rebbe would pause under his talus, and those who were close enough would hear a melody the Rebbe would sing on their talus. You can't describe those moments. But I'll tell you one thing. My official excuse for not going around to sound the shofar when I was a yeshiva student was because I didn't know how to blow shofar. I didn't know how to do it, so I didn't do it. So I didn't have to, so I had my spot for the keys. Others came running in right before, but I was there already. Then I came here the first year, and I heard the shofar, the sounding of the shofar, great, great sounding of the shofar. And in my mind, I could not fathom hearing shofar from someone who was never by the Rebbe. Because it came along with it. 
it was part of it. Obviously, halakhically, there was no question. There was no issue. But personally, I could not connect with it. So I immediately after Rosh Hashanah started looking and digging and finding a shofar that I can blow. And it took about 12 months. And I started sounding the shofar because that's the only way. Um, it was a moment that felt like a lifetime. There were, the Rebbe did not sound long, long tkiyas, long blows of the shofar, long sounds. But you saw there was something happening. What? That only the tzaddik knows. But there was obviously something happening. And um, all I can say is we miss those days. It doesn't go. It doesn't go. It doesn't go. It doesn't go. It's the Min hameitzar karasika anani bamerchavka Koyli shima hechazdecha Hashem kemishpotecha chayeni Reish devorcho emes uliyoylam kemishpatirkecha Aroiv av de cholitoiv al yashkuni zaydim sos anoichi al imrosecho kemoyetzei shalal rav tuv tam vadas lamdeini kivi mitzvoisecho emanti Need voice speed, it's a no Hashem. Umish potechalam deni. Allah Eloikim bisrua. Hashem bekel shoifar. Roughly. Roughly, yeah. And then, and then there's a Yehirot, there's a prayer. Uh, quick one paragraph prayer and then there's the, the brachas on the shayfer. Okay, and those, those verses are the, the preparation. If you notice the, the, the bold letters on each line, the first letter of each line is, is bold. So that's kras sotan, tear up the, uh, the accuser. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just say like this. It always makes me sad when somebody who is not yet ready for the full Rosh Hashanah davening experience comes at the wrong time. And here's what I want to say. Not everybody has the ability, I'm just going to say it, not everyone has the ability to sit through from the beginning till the end. Hopefully, after you know, learning some of these juicy little tidbits, it'll help. It'll help you to sit longer than, than you were or to enjoy more if you were sitting the whole time already. But there are people, they're, they're only going to come for a certain amount, whether it's 15 minutes, half an hour, an hour. It always makes me sad, the people, especially the guy who was 
one of the first to come. It was like he was there on time, actually came at the, the beginning of davening, and then he leaves before Shoifer. Because the one mitzvah, the one biblical commandment, I'm saying from the 613 commandments, that you could only do on Rosh Hashanah is to hear Shoifer. And uh, I want to be careful how I say this because everyone should come for all of davening and you should come early and often, as we say in Chicago. But uh, if you can only come for part of davening, please make sure to come for Tekiah Shefer because it's a mitzvah, it's a biblical commandment. It's one of the 613, 613 commandments. You can only do it on this day. And in hearing the Shefer, you are accomplishing the entire point of Rosh Hashanah, which is, succinctly put, to accept Hashem's kingship, which means I hereby accept that I want to give my life and the trajectory of my life and the point of my life and everything that I'm working for and all of my goals, I want to give it all, I want it to be all aligned with whatever Hashem's agenda is. I don't want to be an independent operator. I want that everything in my life should be for him. And um, that's what the shoifer accomplishes, whether we understand exactly how that works or not. So I really want to urge you, make sure to find out. And if, and if they won't give you a straight answer, just tell them, come on, Rabbi, I'm only going to be there for 15 minutes. Please tell me the real answer. What time is Takiyah Shafer? And then you could surprise the rabbi. You could come and stay even longer. You don't, you don't only have to stay for 15 minutes. But please find out what time uh, Shafer really is going to be. Because it's just it's paramount and... Look, there are good-hearted people who go around and spend their entire Rosh Hashanah day going from door to door. And here in the Five Towns, there's quite a bit of that. But, and I'm sure if you make it known that you're unable to come to shul, someone will take your address and they will come to you and they'll do shoifer at your home. But if you're able to make it to shul, please come and make sure that you're there for that, for that part of the, for the davening, for that part. Okay, uh, let's keep moving along here. Um, oh, okay, now we're... Let's go to Musaf, because this is what you claim that you're not a Shachris Chazim. Baltfila, I'm sorry. Okay, let's do a little Musaf. Page, pull up 178, okay? 178, I call this... I'm sorry, come up here. 178, I call the bathroom break, but... <laughs> but this is yeah, a very important fila. Here's the thing. Uh, this is right before we go into Musaf. Musaf. How long is Musaf usually? How long is your Musaf? I'm done by 1.45. <laughs> so it depends what time you start. Okay. But Musaf is longer than Shachris. And um, there's a prayer that the Chazan says right before Musaf starts. So that's why I say that's like a time to... Uh, you know, take care of your uh, needs, whatever they are. Uh, you know the story, by the way, about the shul. Famous story about the shul. There was a shul that the, some crusaders came in to some uh, shul in uh, Eastern Europe, and uh, they were going to kill the, the rabbi, the chazan, and the, the leader of the community. And we call it today the shul president. And uh, they, they said, we'll give you one last request. 
And it was on Rosh Hashanah. I forgot to say, that's the setup. It was on Rosh Hashanah. So the rabbi says, last request, before you kill me, I want to say my Rosh Hashanah sermon, because we've been pre- preparing the sermon since the beginning of the summer, and it's a doozy. I just I want to be able to say that sermon, then you could kill me. And then the chazan says, let me sing one last time. Let me sing my hinani, because I've been practicing. I've got a beautiful hinani, beautiful rendition of hinani. That's my last request. And they say to the president of the shul, you have a last request? He says, yeah, kill me first. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so one one seventy. Let's let, let, give us a little taste of Hinani, if you if you can. You do that. I mean, that's that's your thing, right? I'm working on it. Okay. Hinani heyani mimas nidash venifechad mipachad. Yoishev Tilois Yisrael Lamoid Lishanen Lefonov Alamo Yisrael Asher Shilochuni Afalpi Hashem, Hashem, Kerach umechanun, Eloikei Yisrael. Shaka yoyoy menoido, Heyena matliyach dareki, Asher anoichi hoyleg weyoymeid, Levakesh rachamim alai V'yal shoylechai And then there's a, a lot of people skip a bunch of lines to the end. Uh, in the brackets, Shama, I have 179. Pull up 179. You, you, you want to go to the... Now, look on 179. At the end there, you have, again, they broke it up into lines and they made it easier for you because they put the first letter of each... Uh, line in bold. So you have Yodaiti, right, which is a Yod, and then you have Hakshiva, which is Hey, Benafshi, which is Vav, Hanoisein, which is Hey, and that's Yudke Vavke, that's the four letter name, Hashem's ineffable name, right there. You want to give us a little Yodaiti? Yeah. Baruch That's how you finish it. Yadayeti Yadayeshem Kitsedek Mishpatecha Veyemuna Inisani Akshivali Vaneni Yadid Besichi Vyahima 
ונפשי תגיל בשם תעשיס בשועסי הנוי סנטשו עולם לוחים הפויצס דוד אבידוי מחרב רע דידי די לדם היי לדם some people repeat that and you go right into Kaddish gorgeous beautiful okay fine alright so then, then we have Mosaf excellent isn't this beautiful He's the Chazan. You guys could all hear this. All Rosh Hashanah. And Yom Kippur. You didn't negotiate the contract yet. Okay. <laughs> After this. Okay. Anyways. Um, let's move on. So then Yedavin Musaf. The Shemineser B'Lachash. That's your private, personal Shemineser. Now, here's, here's the thing I want you to understand about the, the Musaf. During Musaf, there's more Tkiyas. There are more uh, shofar sounds. But it's, it's very simple once you understand what's happening. It's punctuating different sections. Most of it is broken up into three sections, which are the three themes of the day. Hashem's kingship, Hashem's remembrance, and the shoifer itself. Those are the three themes. So most of it is broken into sections where we talk about those themes. Kingship, remembrance, and the shoifer. And then punctuating each of those sections, we have some shoifer blasts. Um, both during the silent Manasseh that, that every individual davens, as well as in the repetition. I'll get to that in a second. But let me, let me show you one of the highlights in the repetition of the, of the Musaf uh, Shmanasseh. One of the real highlights. People love this. On, on page 200, can you pull up 200? I'll, I'll tell you the story, the background. This is an Asana Teikif. An Asana Teikif was one of those really dramatic uh, high points. Yeah, so if you, if you made it until it's like 1.15 by this point, right? Okay, if you made it to this point, and you, so you're, you're rewarded, you're treated to this real dramatic, exciting, uh, what, what, what's going on here? This prayer um, is about 900 years old. It was composed <clears throat> in Mainz, Germany, by Reb Amnon of Mainz. And the story is a very dramatic story, actually. He was an advisor to the, the Duke, the uh, local aristocrat, and he was very favored by this, uh, by this nobleman, and obviously this aroused jealousy. <coughs> People who were <coughs> jealous <coughs> that a Jew was held in such esteem by the Duke, so the advisor to the king gave a, a bad idea to the duke. He said, if Rabbi Amnon is indeed so loyal to you, then tell him to join your faith. Tell him to become a Christian. And the duke had never thought of that before, but once it was advised to him, he was like, oh, okay, fine, yeah, why not? So the next time he saw Rabbi Amnon, he, he, he advised it, and Rabbi Amnon sort of just, you know, ignored it 
uh, and uh, let it let it go, hoping it would just be forgotten. But the Duke kept persisting, and finally he made an ultimatum. And he says, "Listen, this, you got to convert, or you're going to be punished." So Rabbanon said, "Okay, give me three days. I'll get back to you in three days. Call you back." Right. He just said it off the cuff to be like, you know, buy some time. But the second he said it, he realized that's terrible because essentially what, what, what am I doing? I'm pretending, even for a second, that I would even entertain the notion of renouncing my faith, God forbid. He's like, that's terrible. How could I have even done that? So he immediately felt remorseful. And uh, he spent the following three days fasting and praying and in isolation. And at the end of the three days, he didn't show up to the appointment. He said, I'll get back to you in three days. He didn't. So then the, the, the Duke sent his armed guards, he sent his police to Rabamnum's home, and they had to physically grab him. He wasn't coming willingly. So they physically grabbed him, and they dragged him to the Duke. And the Duke said, uh, how dare you not come to me? And uh, Rabbi Amnon said, no, no, that's not the offense that I committed. Not how dare I not come to you. How dare I even suggest for a moment, even give the impression that I would betray the God of Israel. And uh, if you're, if you're going to punish me, my tongue that uttered such falsity should be cut out. So the Duke said, that's a great idea. But I, I say instead that the feet that did not walk to me should be cut off. And for good measure, your arms should be cut off as well. And that's what they did. They maimed him and they cut off all of his limbs and they left him to die. The next day was Rosh Hashanah and he begged to be brought to Shul and they brought his limbless body into Shul on Rosh Hashanah. And at this point in the Musaf prayer, they, they, they were about to say Kedusha. Kedusha, you, you say three, well, we say it uh, twice a day, three times uh, a day on a, uh, on, a, on a Shabbos or a Rosh Chodesh or a Yom because we have a Musaf additional prayer. But uh, they were coming to the Kedusha, which we call also Keser, uh, when it's in the Musaf prayer. And just before that prayer, which itself is a very uh, dramatic prayer, he asked to be brought up to the front of the shul and he started muttering with his last breaths. He started muttering a prayer and uh, the chazan repeated word for word out loud to the congregation what Rebbe was saying. And it was, it was these words in the Sana Teikif. So that's, that's the story of how this prayer was composed. Anyway, you want to give us a little Nasana Teikif? Yeah. Okay. With all the drama, okay. This is actually the most dramatic piece in Chabad because I don't sing it like the prior Chazan had, so they, I get a lot of flack from the uh, women's section that I don't sing it like Shalom sang it. <laughs> and I, I, I never sang it, I just dominated it the way my father did, so here goes. <laughs> Tachas shivtoy Kene tavir vesispoir Vesispoir 
Yosef Koyde Nefesh Kol Echoy Vesachetoich Kitzva Lechobir Yosecho Vesichetoich Es Gezardinam Bedoish Hashanai Yikosevun Oviyoy metsoy mekipur Yechosemun Kamay Yavdun Oy vechawamo Yibarayun me me vach Basekilo mianuachu mianuah mishakaitu mitoreif mishaleivu miyasar miyani miyasher mishafel umi yadum. Now this is the most fun. Can I use the word fun on Rosh Hashanah? Yeah. Is it a, this is the most fun part of, of the entire Rosh Hashanah. Every, people live for this. All year long, when you get to you go, you know what I'm talking about. You get to say the three words. We'll show the, can we? But how will we know? Like, what's the cue? What's the cue to know? To jump in. Umiyarum. Umiyarum. <laughs> that word. Umiyarum. Can you give us? Okay, let's do it. Let's practice. Okay, do a miyarum, and then we'll go. Ushova, usvila, stuck. Right? Okay, let's do it. Okay. Yarum Oshova Osvela Utsdaka Mavirin Esraya Hagzeira Oseshova Osefila Tsdaka Mavirin Esraya Hagzeira Yeah, I do go up like that for some reason. Gvaldic. But I'll just I'll mention something to you. You'll notice in the Machsa on page 200 at the bottom, okay, so it has those three words. Shuva is returning to Hashem. Tfila is davening, prayer. Utsdaka, that's, uh, we translate it as charity, but it means uh, doing the right thing when it comes to taking care of others' needs. So those three things. If you look above those words, there are little words that don't have vowels, they don't have nakudas. 
because you don't read those. You just have them in mind. Do you notice the little words that are above each of those three big words? So ab above chova, it says tsaim. Tsaim means a fast. Tfila, above tfila, it says koil. Koil means the voice. Above the word utsdaka, it says mamain, which means money. Tsaim, koil, mamain. Tell you something interesting about those three words is they all have the same numerical value. They're all 136. Yes, that's correct. Tsaim, tzaddik is 90 and vav is 6 and mem is 40, so that's what? 136. Koil, kuf is 106, vav is 6, lamet is 30, again, 136. Mamain, mem is 40, another mem is another 40. We're up to 80. Vav is 6, that's 86, plus nun is 50. 136. So, first of all, it shows you that they're all related because they all have the same numerical value. So they all have one purpose. But also, you know what 136 is? It's Chaim times 2. That's what it is. Chaim times, yeah. Ches is 8, and Yud is 10, and another Yud is another 10, and Mem is 40. So what is that? That's 68, right? 40 plus 10 plus 10 plus 8, 68. 68 times 2 is 136, and 136 is the gematria of Tsaim and Koil and Momin. How do you like that? Okay, thank you very much. All right, creative accounting. Okay, um, I, I, let's, let's just do one more thing here. I, I, I mentioned to you that the Musaf prayer is pretty simply structured. It's divided into three sections, and each section is punctuated by Shafer blasts. Each time we do those Shafer blasts, there's a prayer that's said, a paragraph. It's the same paragraph every time. It is just one word different each time. Because each time basically we say, Hashem should accept this set of shofar blasts, which represents the theme of, and then the first time we say kingship, and the second time, time we say mem uh, memory, and the third time we say of, of shofar. So it's the same paragraph three times, but we just change one word depending on which uh, section of the prayer we just said. So, w which page do I have? Uh, do I have a what? Yeah. Um, would I have two two ten or two o seven? I think maybe I have. Oh, two ten. Okay, I have a two ten. Um, give us a little. Yeah, give us a little two ten. Yeah, yeah. Hayyim hadasoyilam, Hayyim yamid ba mishpat, Kal yitzure yoyilamim, Im kivonim, Im kavadim, I'm <laughs> Ayyam Kadaish 
And then I let the crowd finish, usually, and then I finish. Say a dead in Malchio Yisainu. Malchio Yisainu means the first section, the one about kingship. And then you would, the next one is. Say it, dead. Well, let me do one more highlight because we, we got, you know what, there's so much of Judaism, I think, that um, is textual and like a lot of words and, you know, sometimes you need a real like kinesthetic experience, something like where you get to move and you get to do stuff. Yeah, you don't, like, you don't get a lot of that. And uh, I think it's very important for us. And there's very few opportunities, especially on the high holidays, I think it's important to like, get up and do something, to move around. And uh, I, just, I, I, I think it's so important to mention this, especially somebody who's watching this and like, the whole purpose I came to this class or I'm watching this online is because I have a hard time sitting through all those words, the words, the words, there's so much words, I'm sitting through it and I, I just feel like I need to get up and move around. So I just want to show you, there's something really cool and special that we do on page 207. Can you pull up 207? And it's part of the, the first, that first section, the section of kingship, where we read verses of kingship. So a lot of people are aware of the Aleinu prayer because we say Aleinu at least three times a day. We say uh, Aleinu after uh, every prayer. And it's a prayer that is attributed to Yeshua, to Joshua, the successor of Meshur Rabbeinu, who led the Jewish people into the Promised Land. At any rate, Aleinu L'Shabeach is incumbent upon us to praise, to, to praise Hashem. And, and it's this prayer, it was always a controversial prayer, by the way, throughout the ages because it directly... Um, it directly negates the idol worship of the nations of the world and says that we are fortunate not to be like them, that we rather that we worship the one God. And as such, it was throughout the ages, it was targeted many times as a controversial prayer. Uh, but here's the cool part of it. This is just what I want to talk about. Uh, during Aleno, we actually get up out of our chair and you bow down. And we don't normally do this. Uh, and we pray like the old-fashioned biblical era style. It's very, you know, it's very authentic. I feel very biblical when I do this. You get up and you prostrate. You actually prostrate. Now, for halachic reason, you have to be careful. Um, depending on what the floor material the floor is made out of, you have to put something down. It could even be just like, what are the handles? They use like uh, paper towels, yeah? Yeah, or if it's not, what, well, the tent, the parking lot is an issue. The asphalt is we have carpet, okay. So there you go. So the carpet takes care of it. But, okay. So, uh, but at any rate, can we do a little, ale- this will be like our, 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 our climax for the evening. Aleno, and uh, should I act out the prostration? No, I'm, you know why? Because I'm afraid just, see, in shul, I want to tell you the secret. Here's why I'm not going to prostrate. Because in shul, one of the things, and this is also a lot of fun, the chazan also has to prostrate. 
He has to get down, he has to bow. Now, Chazan is supposed to, you gotta, I'm not gonna make you do it here, but you have to like illustrate. When you're, da, when you're Chazan and you're davening, you have your two feet together. That's the way we do it, that's the custom. So he has his two feet together. You don't see all this action. I, mean, I don't, uh, should peek from the women's side because this is very. Well, they see my head disappear. Yeah. So, like, he's bowing and then he's getting down on the ground, and then how does he get up? The people pick him up. That's right. So, yeah. What do you mean? Well, you're rolling your eyes. People this, pick this you up. <laughs> okay. No, nobody picked you up? No. Okay. Anyways. Okay. So let's do a real online. Okay. This is one of the pieces that I have written down in the notes to go up or down. So let's try to wing it. Okay. Ma ya 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 ma ya 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 ma ya 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 La says Gidulal, Yotere Bereshis. Ay, Shalayasanu, Kigayayaratsais. Velayasamanu, Kimishpechayasadama. I usually pause because they close the ark. Ah, <laughs> That's, isn't that exciting? Yeah. Okay, fine. All right, I'll tell you one last thing. And that is because I, I notice people taking notes. So, Baruch Hashem. I notice people taking notes, and hopefully this will enrich your davening experience. And at some point during uh, Rosh Hashanah prayers, you'll remember one of these things, maybe a story or a joke or maybe something even more deep than that. But it doesn't matter. The point is, hopefully, it'll just make uh, Rosh Hashanah uh, davening experience more uh, meaningful for you. But I'll just close by saying this. I noticed people writing notes, and what it reminded me of <laughs> is the story of the student of the Baal Shem Tov, Reb Wolf Kitsis. So leading up, the days leading up to Rosh Hashanah, the Baal Shem Tov told Reb Wolf, I want you to be my Baltake. I want you to be the one who sounds the shoifer in my shul on Rosh Hashanah. So... Uh, Rav Wolf said, I, I don't know the proper uh, intentions, the Kabbalistic intentions. So the Baal Shem Tov said, well, that's exactly my point. I'm going to teach them to you. So he studied with Rav Wolf in the days leading up to Rosh Hashanah that he should have all of the 
the different configurations of the spheroids that you're supposed to think of and uh, focus on at each blast of the, of the shoifer. He had it all worked out, and he took notes. He took a page of notes. Um, and he had that with him, and he brought it to Shul and Rosh Hashanah, and he was looking over those notes the whole time he was ready. And um, as he was about to go up to the uh, center of the shul, to the platform where he was going to sound the shoifer, he reached for the notes, and they were gone. He couldn't find the notes. Couldn't exactly stop the entire congregation and say, oh, hold on, let me go look for my notes. It was it. You just, it was one of those moments. And he got up there realizing that the, the papers that he was going to look at were gone. And he just got up there and he cried. And he did his best. He winged it. Like he said, you wing it. You don't have your notes up and the down. And the... So he winged it. He didn't have his notes. He winged it. And afterwards, he was humiliated. He felt humiliated. So the uh, Balshamtev came over to him after prayers, after the Shana services, and he said to him, Wolf, thank you so much for your tekiyas. They accomplished everything that I had hoped that they would accomplish. So he said, Rebbe, it was a failure. I didn't have the notes. You taught me all the intentions, and I had them on the paper, and I lost the paper. And the Balshamtev said, yeah, yeah. Those kavanas, those intentions, are like keys to doors. And every one of them is a different key that opens up a different door in heaven. But there's a master key that opens all doors, and that is the key of tears. When you went up there feeling brokenhearted that you didn't have your notes, actually, that was the greatest possible intention that you could have. So not that anyone should, God forbid, have any suffering or any pain. We don't need any of that. But a feeling of abject humility, I think, is appropriate. Not, not, not in, a, in a nasty way, not in a, in a way of putting you down and telling you you're rotten or awful. No, God forbid. But in, in the sense of, you know what? It is so clear to us that we don't run this world. We're not in charge. God is in charge. We're not in control. And we just have to walk into our prayers with that, with that humility of... of realizing how utterly, completely, entirely dependent we are upon our Father and how fortunate we are that He's a loving Father. And we're putting ourselves completely in His hands. Okay, thanks for having fun with me. Thank you.